hot seats. While you're walking back, uh, there's one extra announcement we have. Um, Andy, put up the yellow one that says CHM on it. There's a special, there's a ministry in town called Christian Healing Ministries, which some of you may know because Pastor Gary worked there for several years. And they do these trainings for prayer, and they're doing one this coming kind of weekend or Thursday to Saturday, whatever those dates are, 9th through 11th. Um, but they're offering an amazing deal if we, because we're a Jacksonville local people, if you use this code to sign up for this prayer class, it costs $50 only instead of a lot more. And people travel from all over the world to go to these things. So this is actually, so if you want training in prayer at all, this is a great resource to take advantage of and use this link or, or use that uh, code SHP1JAX50 to sign up for that. And if you are, there's, this is too many details for you to remember, Brandon, raise your hand. Talk to Brandon afterwards, and he will help you do that because uh, the Internet can be overwhelming, I understand. But this is a really awesome resource, and it's in a couple days, and we could take advantage of it. It's a great class. Great class. Awesome. Yes, so talk to Brandon if you have any other, uh, any other questions about that, and, you know, let's take advantage of it. All right. So let me pray really quick, and then we're going to get into this. So, Father, just bless this word that we study, your word, that your word would speak to us, that we would hear your word, and, that we would, uh, and it would change us as it needs to. In Jesus' name, amen. And welcome to, we've been going through the book of Exodus. We are on Exodus 4 today. If you have a paper Bible or a phone and you want to turn there, that'd be great. Um, who wants to come read today? Is anyone feeling reedy? Okay, Andy's going to come. Andy's going to come. He's already coming. So we're going to read through this chapter, Exodus 4, and then go through it. And we're coming in kind of halfway through, like we talked last week. This is Moses encountering God in the burning bush, and they're already engaged in conversation. So. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses, reached, uh, Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, Put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand in his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs to, uh, or, or listen to you, take some of the water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who made them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what, you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. 
Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take the staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, Go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill you and your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you're a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he met at the mountain of God and kissed him. Then Moses said to, uh, told Aaron everything the Lord had sent to him to say, and also all about the signs that he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders and the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything that the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. And when they had heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Thank you. Amen. All right, guys. So like I said, we're, we're right. I'm going to just dive right into this. We're right halfway into a major encounter that Moses is having with God. And I want to ask kind of a bold question, but it's not a trick question. Okay, it's a clear question. How many of you would say you've had an encounter with God in your life? Awesome. Here's the thing I'd said last week. In order for our lives to make sense, in order for us to understand who we are, understand anything about reality, you really do need an encounter with God. You can't just take somebody else's word for it necessarily or that type of thing. And Moses is experiencing this right now. And what we want to do with this text is to see how Moses' interaction with God uh, shows us how we all tend to interact with God about these kinds of things, you know. Because at first he's really, like, he sees a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning, and it attracts him. He's like, what is going on with that? Because when God is doing things, it's interesting. <laughs> and he's like, I need to go see what's going on. And then he starts talking with God, and then God's like, all right, it's time that we're going to do this thing, and I'm going to set the people free from Egypt. The thing you've always wanted to do, the thing you cared about, remember, you know, all those years ago. Um, and then Moses responds in the chapter last week, Kind of two questions. He's like, well, who am I that you would do that through me? And God's like, the guy I want. Like, that's, that's about all we need to discuss there, you know. And then he's like, well, who are you when they ask me who, 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 who I talked to? And this is where God identifies himself with a statement, which is his name. We call it Yahweh, is the, you know, but he's really saying I am. And the, really a deeper meaning of this is I am who I am, or I'll do what I'll do, and I'll be who I'll be. Kind of like he's the only God that exists, and he doesn't really, like, need your permission to be that 
You see what I'm saying? It's difficult to put into words the concepts, but I am just kind of gets it. It's beyond time. It's beyond anything. He just exists, and he's that God, the same God that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were talking to, and that's important. And so he says to Moses, hey, you're going to be the guy that I'm going to send down to do this. And that's where, we, that's where we start today, where Moses says to him, um, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And, uh, oh, yeah, oh, sorry, I, I left, it one, left one thing out. And so it's this, uh, we need to look at how, what Moses does this is a perfect, like, there's a lot of times when, like, Peter does this with Jesus, where it's like, huh, glad I didn't say that, you know, like, you stuck your foot in your mouth again. But really, he's there showing you, he's like, you do this all the time. Like, don't be so hard on this guy. We don't need to be hard on Moses having this conversation with God. What I want you to do is let the Word of God kind of, instead of us reading it, let it kind of read you. Where do you do the same sort of things that Moses is doing? Because I will confess to you, the kind of prayer conversations I have with God tend to look a lot like this, even when God's doing the things that I've been praying for the whole time. Like, I'm sure Moses, for the 40 years he's over there as a, as a shepherd, away from his people, torn through all these things, knowing there's still people suffering, it still bothers him. And then here you have God finally saying, yes, I care about that. We're like, well, that's awesome. And he's like, and you're going to be the one that goes and deals with it. And you're like, I, really? This is where we find ourselves. You know, so we don't want to be too hard on him. We want to see... Um, see this interaction, because on one hand, maybe his dream is coming true, but on another hand, it's going to start costing him something, and that's where I want to start talking about. I heard a quote from a missionary I like to listen to sometimes named David Hogan, and, it, and I think it summed up what this whole chapter is about, and he said, uh, if you want to get into God's plan, you got to get out of yours, and I was like, yeah, that's about it. If you want to get into God's plan, you got to get out of yours, and that's what Moses is going through right now, and so we're going to see that, because Moses answers, he's like, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you, which I actually think is kind of a legit point. Because if you came up to me and said, God told me to do, blah, depending on what you said after that, the blah part, I would may or may not be inclined to listen or think that that was God who said to do it. You know what I mean? Hence, we have the Bible, and we're supposed to weigh and test these things, as you would say. You know, like, God told me that I'm supposed to murder this person. He probably didn't. He didn't. But you see what I'm saying. And so... Um, Moses kind of needs some help here because he's like, I'm just going to go make this pretty wild claim. Can you help me out? And so um, God's like, yeah. And he starts this kind of chain of events where he gives him three signs. The first sign, he throws his staff on the ground. It turns into a snake, which freaks Moses out. This is a funny little point that we don't need to make a big deal out of. But God does something through Moses, obeying him, and it freaks Moses out because it says Moses like ran away from it. This is a normal reaction. A lot of times, the first time God does something through us, it's not only is the person maybe or everybody shocked, including us, is what I'm trying to say. You don't go, I knew that would happen. Usually, you're freaked out a little bit. So it's okay to be that way because even Moses is. Like, okay, fine, I'll throw my stick on the ground. Now it's a snake. So he pulls back scared. And God's like, no, pick it back up. And woven into all of this is God making statements, like I said, you know, Exodus being a story. He's claiming victory over, again, Egyptian gods and things. And then the next sign is, Moses, stick your hand in your cloak, pull it out, and it's all diseased and messed up, and they put it back in, and it's healed. And, and then the, the Nile River, again, being this, this place of worship and power and all this kind of stuff. And, he's, and God's starting to weave into this whole thing about how he's so much more powerful than all of these other gods that claim authority in the world, and then in this case, specifically, some Egyptian ones. Um, and you would think, maybe, if we're just going to be critical for a second, you're like, okay, I get the point. You know, like, you just did two things that aren't possible, 
maybe I should, and the three maybe. Like now there's a bush that's not burning that's talking to me, and my hand did a thing, and the snake stick did a thing, you know. But Moses still protests. So when we encounter this kind of thing, like God's starting to move in our midst. First it's shocking. First, it, you know, all these, you know, it's interesting. Then it's shocking. Then we resist. You know, all these kind of dynamics start to play, and then. Um, miracle, miraculous things are happening in our midst, you still find it's like, yeah, but, you know, I have a good reason. I'm not good at talking. And then God's like, I care why is kind of how he sums this up. You know, like, who even made your mouth, you know? And, uh, and then God doesn't like that one so much. But then <laughs> finally Moses runs out of ideas and says my favorite one. He's like, could you please just send someone else? And this is a very honest moment that I don't want us to look at Moses and be like, ha, he's just like, Isaiah's like, here I am, send me. And you're like, you know, you see what I'm saying? This is not a good way to look at this. What I want us to allow to happen to us, and this is why I'm kind of going through this quickly, is for us to honestly look at our own lives before God. I'm assuming, since you're here at church on a Sunday morning, in 2023, so I forget what year, it still feels like 2020 to me, uh, 2023, when you could either not be here or you could be streaming it online or whatever, that you're wanting to live a life that God wants for you, right? Like this kind of thing. Like that's the idea, you know? And, you're, and, and there's this weird relationship we're having with our lives as they are and God as he is. And then, you know, and when things start to move, there's this strange resistance that comes up. And you're like, why is that the case? And you see in this Moses, he finally is like, just send, can you send somebody else? And Moses is looking at a situation. He's going to go back to where he was a failure. You know, they had murdered somebody. He got him. He's like, look, the people that wanted to kill you are dead and everything. But Moses wasn't exactly probably well thought of at that time. You know, things were messed up there. He had embarrassed himself. You know, he was almost killed. The Pharaoh before was trying to kill him. But God's like, okay, look, I'll let your brother come help you, all right? And he's like, he's already coming to meet you. And so that's another encouragement. And Moses is putting into words the same thing that we do. You know, it's, it's really nice to read a story about Moses thousands of years ago and keep it like here. Or even like the disciples and Jesus and keep it like here. And then there's a moment where it starts to mess with your life. And it gets way more complicated really fast, even though logically it really kind of shouldn't. Where it's like, oh, it's like touching me now, you know. Um, I like the idea of it, but I don't like the idea of it like here, you know, like at my house, you know, like this kind of thing. And God has a way of just kind of, I, I had written down uh, what stuck out to me is a certain deliberateness of God that God doesn't really like negotiate much. And even I think sometimes in the, in, there are examples in the Bible where there's prophets and even Moses has a conversation with God that's kind of like a negotiation. But God knows what's going on all the time. So it doesn't work the same way as like me convincing Vance or something like, oh, okay, I didn't want to do that. But now you make, you make a good point. You know, it's not exactly like that because God is the I am God. He's just so different. So God kind of just says things and they just sort of happen, you know, and it's just a different interaction. But Moses ends up questioning at that point where all of this outside stuff, 
I'm so comforted that God wants to do something about this. I'm so glad that God cares about these people like I do. I'm so glad God, and he's like, I want you to do it. I want you to uproot this life you've made over the last 40 years and go back to this other place and start doing this thing. You're going to be, and you're like, I don't think I'm, I, you know, who am I to do that? And who are you? And what is, all, you know, this kind of overwhelming, you in, what you're actually doing so you put in the middle of that conversation God saying who he is, his nature, his I am ability. He just overwhelmingly super powerful, omnipresent, omni anything. You know, you can't even really make up good words for this. And then you're going to question God's authority and ability in our little lives about like a small financial decision. You see what I'm saying? It's like I have no problem with the idea that God created everything in the entire universe that exists including time and abstract concepts of whatever, you know. And then he's like, hey, I want you to talk to that person and tell them I love you. He's like, you know, are you sure? That's probably not a good idea. You see what I'm saying? Do you see how, like, silly that is? But we all do that, you know, so much. And the funny thing is this, is, is God promises him. This is why it's a multifaceted story that we need to look at. He tells him that Pharaoh's, Pharaoh, and as we said, Pharaoh's representative of the devil and of the world, the systems of the world. He's like, they're not going to go, yay. They're going to say no to the things you say. I am telling you, me, the all-powerful, right, good, loving, creating God, go do this. I care about these people that are oppressed. And you're going to say, hey, it's time for you to stop oppressing these people. And they're going to say no. So when we step out, living into what God has created us to do, we shouldn't expect that, you know, you imagine these stories of like, and then everybody will think I'm awesome. I'm like, where did you get that from? This will all start making a little more sense. I want to draw it together at the end. But I'm not saying it won't be like light into darkness. I'm just saying there's these backstories that we're like, and then everybody will be happy all the time. And it's like, yeah, it's not going to happen. And then in verses 24 to 26, which we're not going to really hang out too long here. This weird story happens where God, it says God's going to come kill Moses. It's like, what is going on? This is something that people really don't agree on. Uh, It does seem to be that the big deal is that Moses' sons aren't circumcised and they become circumcised through this event, which in Genesis, you know, God says any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So this is what I said about that certain deliberateness of God. He had said that and he didn't say it and go, yeah, I know you don't really, he meant it. And it meant a lot to him. And you get a good picture in Exodus of what means a lot to God isn't always the same as what means a lot to us. Some people think that Zipporah was the reason that they weren't, like, she didn't want them, she's a Midianite, she doesn't want them circumcised. And some people think it's like Moses' fault, like he was not, he like forgot or didn't do it, and so she saves him. It doesn't really matter. The point is, you got to figure that one out, you know, people don't agree. But the point is that they become circumcised, so they're kind of in right standing with God at that point. And then they get back, Moses, Aaron, and they tell the Israelites, hey, God cares about what's going on, and he's going to deal with it. And initially, and that's why I say it's important initially, because we start to get things next week. They believed, verse 31, and when they heard the Lord was concerned about them, they had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. And this is a comfort that we can all take, that when you go through a hard thing, And I tell you, you will go through hard things. I don't have to prove that to anybody in this room, I don't think. You can take comfort that God is concerned about you and he's seen your misery. 
He's not uncaring. I thought about doing the Matthew 10, you know, the sparrows and the, you know, the hairs on your head. But you all know this stuff. God cares about us when we suffer. He doesn't just, he's not, he, he cares. And that matters a lot. And they are, they are so comforted by the fact that God has not forgotten them. And some of you think that God has forgotten about you or just doesn't care. You know, oftentimes we can experience something difficult and assume that because I'm experiencing this difficult thing, God either doesn't care or he can't do something about it. In this story, it's been very clearly told God absolutely can do anything he wants, and he absolutely cares about this suffering. But there's still suffering right now. So that set of circumstances doesn't give us permission to doubt God in any way. It gives us an opportunity to trust him, but it's difficult. And we'll see some of that next week. And then I'm going to close with this. Um, Kayla or somebody come up here and do some sweet nothings. There's a little bit, when I talk about storyline, uh, there's a little bit of foreshadowing this in the certain deliberateness of God. Then in verse 22, he says, Then, he said, then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord sa- says Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you to let my son go so that he may worship me, but you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. This seems almost like a passing comment, like, but it comes up when we get to the whole Passover story as a major, major theme. When God speaks things, this is the voice of God that speaks into existence the world, the universe in creation. You know, when he speaks things through his word, through his Holy Spirit to us, they are of this sort of weight that they change creation. And he doesn't just go, oh, yeah, I forgot. That's like a human thing. You see what I'm saying? We do forget often all sorts of things about God, but he doesn't. And this is a foreshadowing thing. And I wanted to talk about this as this closing point, this certain deliberateness of God that he alone possesses. It allows him to operate in such a different way than us. And we are live we are we're in this world where I, keep, I, I see these terms like life hacks or life maximization or these kinds of terms. You might have seen these sort of things. And, you know, and as far as it goes, like, you know, hey, guys, here's a life hack about how to wash your dishes faster. Like, fine, great. You know, like, if we, got, we all got to do stuff, and it's better to do it faster than not. But there's a, there's a funny thing going on where we have this story here like Exodus, and it's really a lot of people starting to understand what God's been doing the whole time. It's not God just responding to like new ideas like, oh, I didn't see that coming. I guess I better do something. Oh, I didn't see that coming. I just better do something. That's how we are. That's not how God is. God is saying, I'm going to do this. And it said it a couple of chapters ago, now is the time for me to act. It's not the same as, oh, gosh, did you notice? It? Oh, man, we better do something. You know, you don't want to put that kind of emotion into how God's doing things. He's saying now is the time. Why is it now? I don't know. But this is God's type of determination, okay? Meanwhile, we're living in this highly stressed out world of life hacks and life maximization. Or like I saw these terms, we all know the one FOMO, the fear of missing out. I heard a new one this week, which was called FOBO, which was fear of better options. There's this idea that something's going on, and we're not a part of it, 
And that is causing some severe anxiety in us. And it could be something just like people are together somewhere and we're not with them. But probably in this spiritual context, it's more like the kingdom of God is advancing and we aren't part of it because I'm stuck doing this boring job somewhere or something like that. Or, gosh, I really feel like maybe it's time for me to do this thing with God, but what if something so much better shows up next week? Okay? And the whole time we live in, in this world of life hacks and life maximization that like, hey, you know what? If you get it all just right, everything will work out or something like that. And again, I don't have a problem with life hacks. Like if you've got a better way to do something, I'm all ears. The point I have a problem with is that there's this behind the scenes, this concept that if you could hack your life just right, then all of this meaning that you're like, all this purpose that your life doesn't have and all of these fears of missing out or fears of better option will go away. That you can achieve this thing of, I don't know, being maximized or something like that. Like, wow, now I'm like super awesome and super fit and everybody loves me and all the money, I have so much money, I don't even need it anymore. And you know, this kind of idea. And that, that even if you had all of that, that somehow now your life would be full. And we know it isn't true. I mean, the Bible has whole books about it that it's not true from people who had it all. And you can look at celebrities now. That it's, it doesn't work, but we all seem to think it does. And what I'm trying to say is this encounter with God that Moses is having, this encounter with God that we need to have, doesn't answer that thing of life hacking or fear of missing out in the way that, like, you could view an encounter with God as a life hack. You see what I'm saying? God is the ultimate life hack. You see what I'm saying? Or the ultimate life maximization. We're like, well, Jesus said he, did, he doesn't want us to just have life. He wants us to have it more abundantly. Like we're maximized. You know what I mean? And whatever. I'm just, I'm being funny now, I guess. But my point is what God does is he goes, no, like none of that is what I'm talking about. I'm not, it just doesn't matter because the end goal of this is something so much smaller to what I'm talking about. There, there's a, God has made clear in this conversation with Moses, and now thousands of years later as we're reading it, he's making it clear to each and every one of us, I know who I am. And I'm not worried about it. And I'm certainly not going, you know, I really need you to like me so that I can feel better about myself. He's not saying things like that. He's saying, I know exactly who I am. And I care exactly a lot about the suffering that I'm seeing. And I want you to be a part of freeing these people. And I know that you're nobody special, but you're the person I want to do this. And I'm ultimately powerful to accomplish anything. Even these simple signs I'm going to show you now. He's like, you haven't seen anything yet. You know, there's a time when Jesus is calling his disciples and he sees them under the tree. You know, he gives them a prophetic word. He's like, I saw you before you even came under the tree. They're like, sure. And the guy went from being like, is anything good come from Nazareth to being like, surely you're the prophet. And he's like, slow down, buddy. Like, we haven't even started yet. You haven't even seen anything yet. <laughs> I kind of lost my train of thought. But the, uh, God knows exactly who he is and he knows exactly who we are. And he's so ultimate. And we think... We're, we're comfortable with that. I'll give you that, God. I'll give you that as creator. I'll give you that as all this kind of thing. But I really am worried all the time that I'm screwing my life up or that it's not working. 
I need help. I need these hacks. I need this kind of stuff so that my life will be meaningful or purposeful or do anything. I'm assuming that you want that, that you want a purposeful life, that you want to be meaningful in this world in some sort of way, and we're stressed out that we're not doing it. What's built into that, which, which you see in a conversation with Moses, like, with God, which this happens with us all the time, he's, this just in words here, is a resistance to a surrender to God's plan. If you want to get into God's plan, you got to get out of yours. Here's the news flash, guys. Ours isn't working. And it's not, it's not going great. <laughs> and God's offering us something completely different, not the best version of this bad thing. He's offering a different thing. And this different thing, when we have these conversations, like you see in Moses, he's like, but I don't talk well. And God's like, I don't care. Like, why is that even valid to you? What you see in that is you, there's this weird arrogance that we have that you can mess up your life so much that God can't fix it. How does that make any sense? I'm telling you, we live that life every day. Like, yeah, but what if I miss this? It doesn't matter. Like, we had a conversation about something that, like, well, what if God wanted to use it that way? Like, well, he'll have to do another thing because he can. It doesn't matter. The rules are different. You know, when you and I have a sandwich we need to share, we can cut it in half, and that's about it. When Jesus is sharing stuff like that, there's enough for everybody. The rules are different. And so God's going, I want you, I want each and every one of you to step out into this world. He goes, and it's going to not go great. They're not going to like it, but it is the thing that will bring freedom to the captives, and you are the one I want to do it. And you go, yeah, but I don't, I don't do, I don't have it. He's like, I don't care. Why do you think, do you think I don't know that? Like, oh, I've, never mind, let me go to the next guy, you know. And so I'm just saying, if you want to get into God's plan, you got to get out of yours. And it's a surrendering of all of this. You could miss out on every single thing. And you could pick the absolute worst options that are available to people to pick. And God can still use that. And if you can't believe that, you just have to look at the cross that we have on our wall. This is not like, well, that's a nice religious symbol, which it is. I mean, it becomes that. This is where they killed people. And frankly, more specifically, this is where they killed failure messiahs, okay? Like Rome and they're like, look, the powers of the world, the pharaohs of Jesus' day conspired with the religious leaders to kill Jesus, the actual Messiah of Israel that was coming to ultimately deliver all of us who put our faith in him. And they're like, I know what we'll do. We'll kill him because that'll stop this nonsense. And he's like, okay, you know, and comes right back saying forever we just saying there's never been a man that's more alive the reason you're saying this is the jesus god in the flesh comes dies on our behalf and they bury him thinking good riddance good riddance this thing you're doing i don't even know what it is this you know whatever it's not going to work look we killed god he can't even stop us and he's like i'm back <laughs> you don't you can't stop me and it's the it, jesus is the i am god living out right now alive from 2,000 years before and all this sort of thing. And he says his Holy Spirit, that he's with us when two or more are gathered together in his name. And I just told you, God doesn't say stuff and like not 
mean it, it's not possible for him to do that. You know, G.K. Chesterton has said this thing about um, maybe we're the ones that sinned and grew old. You know, and the Bible talks about children being the ones that we have to be like children to enter the kingdom of God. He's not being childish. It means childlike. Where there's a, if you say something to a child, I'll do this. They expect that you'll do it because you said it. They don't go, well, my dad lies all the time. Or, you know, I mean, kids get wounded from this kind of stuff. God operates a lot more like that. He's like, I thought you said this. You know, you're like, well, God, I didn't. You know, come on. You know, God takes us at our word, and we should take him at his. I'll stop talking now. Prayer team, if you'd come up here. We're going to have a prayer team in the front now and when we close our services. And uh, I'm going to pray to close the service, and Kayla is going to lead a song. And But I'm going to open the altar time. If you want to come forward to pray alone or by yourself, we have space up front. If you need prayer, we have people to pray for people. Um, and at the end, I'm going to ask... Uh, Jackson and Jenny, are you guys going to be over here? Um, one, I want to ask one thing that Mary Hefty is finishing a, a nursing class, and we want to pray for her uh, for that. So specifically at the end, I want you to come over to these guys, and we're going to pray. And anybody who wants to join in that, I want us to pray. But I want to pray for us. So if you'd stand, I'm going to pray. We're going to close differently for a while. I'm just going to pray and end the service. They're going to worship, and you can kind of go as you will. If you need to have a conversation, do it quietly or take it outside. Um, and then uh, otherwise we're available to pray and we want to pray for each other. So, Father, we just pray that you would speak to our hearts and change our lives with what you're doing through this word. Lord, I pray for an, a freedom from the fear of missing out and a freedom from the fear of better options and a freedom of the anxiety of life maximization, Lord. But I pray for the courage to surrender to your plan in our lives. And I pray for great faith in this group of people, Lord, and help us to remember the times we've encountered you. And Lord, please encounter us again. When you say two or more are gathered in your name, you're there among them. We want to see you. We want to hear you. We want to know you. And Holy Spirit, move in this place in Jesus' name. And bless everyone that's here and everyone that's online and everyone that's and all the children back in the children, Maranatha kids, Lord, please let this word speak deeply and let us to live as victorious people. And let your kingdom advance through us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, lift up his countenance towards you, and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.